Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil. And in the case of this film, the completely phony computer-generated special effects did not ruin the movie for me. I thought it actually was very fitting. Ah, I see. Uh, I actually agree with that. Um, As someone who regularly complains about phony CGI special effects, um, it actually works in this movie. Indeed. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And Oscar Isaac is in this film. And he was in Alex Garland's last film, Ex Machina, which was my favorite film of that year. But in this film, there is no sexy dance sequence much to yeah. the audience's disappointment. Right. I I wonder, Andrew, if you're like me and that you've watched that sexy disco dance <laughs> sequence on YouTube more yeah. than once. Sure, sure. Yeah, good good time. That's great. That's great. The, the film that we're talking about is Annihilation, mm. which features Oscar Isaac. It stars Natalie Portman and a whole bevy of supporting actors such as yeah. Jennifer Jason Leigh, Tessa Thompson. Gina Rodriguez and whatnot, yeah. more so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to talk all about it in just a moment. First, though, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q.com. That's the letter Q, mind you. And also we have a Facebook page. Uh, search Facebook for In the Q. Q-U-E-U-E is how that's spelled. Mm-hmm. Both of those places, you can find all of our episodes to listen to on Facebook. We encourage you to use that if you want to get in touch with us because we can respond very easily that way. And if you want to be on the show to discuss the movie of your choice, we'd be happy to have you on. Just contact us. Um, also, we have a Twitter. It is at ITQ Podcast. Lastly, you can find us on iTunes or on certain podcast aggregators like Overcast or Podcast. Also, if you happen to be on iTunes, write us a favorable review. We'd really appreciate it. Help get the word out. So, without further ado, today's film is Annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden, pining, looking up at the sky? (laughs) Why aren't you here? I gotta leave a day early. Your husband's here. extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger. It's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. Check this out. It's like they're stuck in a continuous mutation. Anything interesting in there? 
No. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? We have to go back. I can't go back. We can camp here tonight. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. Yes. Yeah. So that trailer kind of gives you a sense of some of the important elements of the story, such as the shimmer uh, and some of the main characters. Basically, uh, this is a, a very thoughtful science fiction movie. I don't know why it did that. Go, go back to go back to sure, sure. yeah, just after it ended. Okay. So that trailer kind of gives you an idea of some of the major uh, plot points of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it concerns mostly Natalie Portman's character, who's a biologist who has lost her husband and she goes, she joins a band of other scientists, uh, psychologists, other biologists, and a, uh, a linguist, a surveyor, anthropologist. And they decide that they're going to uh, embark on an expedition into this environmental disaster zone, mm-hmm. uh, which is deemed the shimmer, the shimmer. And uh, it's not a very well-known area, um, and they arm themselves quite heavily with uh, machine guns. And it should be said that the Shimmer is growing. Right, steadily. the Shimmer is this living thing that's kind of changing and evolving as it's being studied. And uh, while she goes into the Shimmer, she encounters increasingly strange creatures, mm-hmm. Uh, increasingly strange circumstances that are tied to her husband and his disappearance. And ultimately, it becomes a deadly excursion for many of the people involved. And as we talk more about the film, I think more will be revealed. Sure. So, as Andrew alluded to, Andrew always talks about Ex Machina as being one of his favorite films in recent years. And this is is another film... By Alex Garland, who directed and wrote uh, Ex Machina. And uh, when this movie began, I, I thought that it started off in a very conventional way. It started off as being, you know, nothing particularly interesting for me personally until they got into the shimmer. And once they're in the shimmer, the movie takes on a very kind of dreamlike quality. Yeah. A very surreal world that they're entering and at that point I thought it got much more interesting and I was able to kind of forgive some of the things I that were not working for me uh, I thought that their mission these four women who go in their mission was a little bit hazy to me and, and also what was hazy to me was how they were going to get out and sure. how 
how far they planned on going into the Shimmer. Sure. And the fact that they were all scientists who were armed with deadly weapons. Well, we knew that their mission was to go to the lighthouse, which was the center. It was the epicenter of the Shimmer. It's where the Shimmer started. And they know that it had been growing outwards increasingly, exponentially, perhaps, Mm -hmm. um, over time. So they were being sent in to get to the lighthouse and see what started this phenomenon. But nobody had ever returned except for her husband. Right. So it's in effect, it's very close to being a suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah. But with a, a significant difference over the people who had gone in before. The people who had gone in before had always been military folk. And, mm-hmm. importantly, I think, men. Right. And this was a group entirely consisting of women who were also scientists people of reason people who women of reason not necessarily um as impulsive or aggressive as men or so they think right and they encounter in the shimmer a very kind of captivating world where uh, biology mutates into itself and replicates and mm-hmm. creates new species, new things that are fascinating for the biologists to study. Um, and the whole the whole kind of conceit of the film reminded me a lot of some of the films I've seen by Tarkovsky. Yeah, even though I think... uh, the writer of the novel claims that he was not influenced by Stalker or Solaris, which are both the kind of like very heady cerebral science fiction that. I think this film has to be influenced by. Well, I think Garland, regardless of whether the the screenwriter or the uh, author of the original novel was influenced by Tarkovsky, I think there's no question that Garland is. I mean, this sure. film, in a lot of ways, reminded me, especially of Stalker, mm-hmm. a little bit less so of Solaris, although I think that there are some thematic parallels to Solaris. Uh, yeah. I think that the... Because <laughs> the idea is, uh, in Stalker, they're traveling into an irradiated zone called the right, zone, the I zone. think. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it is a surreal world that becomes not just a trip into uh, a barren wasteland, but also a trip into oneself and one's own mind and one's own consciousness. Sure. Which this movie also, I think, very clearly is in some it- respect. Also, though, unlike Stalker Solaris, it has a totally kick-ass monster scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, it's got, it certainly has more action. than I mean, like, uh, Stalker is, I think, undeniably a, a, a great film, but it's also, I think, especially to a, a casual viewer, it could be considered exceedingly boring and dull. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It does require a lot of patience, uh, for sure. Yeah, and it and it, it it doesn't. I mean, it rewards that patience, but but man, is it slow moving, and man, is it obtuse and difficult to penetrate. And I think that mm-hmm. this film is all of those things as well. But also, it's a a good. You know, it's got its elements of like good science fiction and good action and and that kind of fun stuff too. Yeah, and I think to kind of. Put one step further, 
even if you don't understand what the hell is going on or what the larger picture is, mm -hmm. it still kind of functions as an entertaining uh, journey. Uh, yes. You know, and and basically, you know, we can kind of talk about what the shimmer is or what it's doing to the people, what what it's doing to the characters. And I think we should. But, yeah, and <laughs> but even if you kind of are not kind of parsing through that as an ex, as an, a sensory experience, it's pretty captivating to kind of watch and get lost in, because this is one of those one of those journey films where kind of like maybe this just comes to mind like apocalypse now where characters are going into a dangerous world that gets increasingly more remote more dangerous lives get lost mm -hmm. until there's just maybe one or two of the main characters left standing yeah yeah and yeah but the it's it's full of really very enjoyable and and captivating special effects i was glad to see this in the theater because yeah this was a good theatrical experience um Agreed. so andrew i know that you are you are a huge fan of of cerebral sci-fi and i'm yeah. just curious to know what did you think overall of the film i liked it i liked it very much um I, it didn't captivate me in the same way that ex machina did um mm -hmm. just to compare it to alex garland's most recent work um, and one that I truly loved and thought was a, a bit of a masterpiece. Um, uh, this film is a lot more dense and I think I'm going to have to revisit it to really get the most out of it. I don't think that one viewing was enough. I also yeah. know that this is based off of source material and I have seen many of my friends who have read the source material sort of bemoaning the mischaracterization of the, of the source material, in the film in such yeah. a way that they think that it, it kind of takes the most interesting or the most salient uh, information from the book and just totally discards it, which could be problematic for sure. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm not somebody who believes that uh, literary source needs to be honored a hundred percent. I mean, I think that both the book, the shining and the film, the shining are great in their own ways, sure. but they have or, very little to do with each other. Or like one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Oh especially. yeah, for sure. Which actually I don't very much like the book and love oh, okay. the film. Uh, <laughs> but the, yeah, there's certainly very different worlds that are kind of created. And yeah, and that's, that's just like the, the, that's the inherent situation. Whenever you adapt a book is with a book, you can really get into the interior lives of the characters Sure. with the film. It's more about the actions that they undertake. Yeah, well, a film is primarily a visual medium, and it is it the best films recognize that even if they're adapted from a literary source, they recognize that you are doing visual storytelling here instead of sort of world building in the brain in the way that the uh, that that books do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I think that this movie does that. It's certainly a very visually captivating film. It's a visually inventive film. It's the storytelling is very interesting. I never found myself bored during the film, um, but it is dense, and I don't know that I know what happens in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. which may sound like a criticism. It may sound like oh, well, that's a reason to hate the movie, but 
there are many films that I have walked out of unsure as to what I had seen exactly. And I love them. And some of them have even grown to be some of my favorite films. Uh, 2001, for instance, is a very good example of a film that one can watch and be like, I don't have any clue what just happened. It's probably um, the ultimate example. It's, yeah, it's probably the best example of that. Uh, although you could say like We're Astical and uh, uh, Bellatar films are very confusing experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I walk out of those movies and I'm like, I don't have any clue what just happened, but it was interesting. But I, I share your situation, Andrew, because, and that's why I framed it the way that I did sure. as a movie that can be sure. enjoyed, even if you don't know what's going on, because I debated seeing this a second time for the podcast. Yeah. And then ultimately I decided for a couple of reasons that I wouldn't see it again. Uh, one reason being because I didn't want to watch it again that much. Sure. Uh, and the second reason being, I thought we should review it as First a moviegoer would, having seen it sure. only once, and sure. try to make sense of it uh, from one viewing. And um, if we kind of think about like what's going on with the Shimmer um, in this world... Well- do we want to do we want to issue a spoiler alert here because I think we want to get sure. a little bit into the weeds in terms of what happens in the film here and we're we're going to talk about events in the film and our speculations about them um and it will spoil parts of the film so if you have not seen the film now would be a good time to turn off the podcast hop on over to one of our other episodes um you know not nice. not too many of our episodes contain a lot of spoilers so uh, give another one a listen and come back to this once you've seen Annihilation. This is your spoiler alert. Yes. And, <laughs> okay, so the Shimmer... Yeah. Uh, the, there's one scene in particular that I think is a great jumping-off point in terms of what in the world is happening. Is it and the one where also... they best explain what the, what is happening with the Shimmer? Because maybe that's a good place for us to start, is there's only one point in the film where anybody comes even close to an explanation of what the Shimmer is. Well, you've seen this film more recently than I have, so why don't you talk about what that explanation is? Well, the explanation is, uh, it's offered up by Tessa Thompson towards the end of the film, when she's one of the only ones left. Mm-hmm. And she says the f- uh, that the... The shimmer is essentially a prism, and it is not just refracting light, but it is refracting everything, which includes DNA and personality and your mind and all of these things. Everything gets refracted in the shimmer. So it's a bent, warped version of what it would normally be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the only, like, quote-unquote reasonable explanation we get of the shimmer, but it doesn't necessarily explain much. Yes, but it it's kind of the go-to justification if we ever find ourselves wondering what is going on. Yes. Um why, you know, why are creatures behaving this way? Why is there a uh sexually ambiguous uh replica of Natalie Portman forming <laughs> yes. and and mimicking her every action? Yeah, why is there a a bear that absorbs people's last dying voice and thoughts and fears and why are there bizarre serpentine creatures moving around inside the intestines of 
some of the other characters in the film. Why does everybody become kind of a weird fungus when they die? Yeah, and the explanation is, it's the Shimmer, you know? So (laughs) what happens in the Shimmer stays in the Shimmer. Sure, it's just like Vegas. Yeah. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, where to go from there? I, I, I think that... This movie is, it's got a very good meta score. It's got a slowly declining IMDb score. It used to be 8.0 and now it's down to 7.6. And uh, also one one thing to kind of parse through is that this movie is all a flashback, actually. Uh, When the movie begins, Natalie Portman has survived her, her foray into the shimmer and she's describing what she found to a guy in a hazmat suit Benedict who Wong. wants played by Benedict Wong <laughs> who who wants to know what's happening and so my initial skepticism that they were going to emerge from the shimmer after completing their mission alive was laid to rest because she did come back from the shimmer but at what cost what did she bring with her mm. and um should also be said that even though her husband, even though Natalie Portman's husband, played by Oscar Isaac, has disappeared, uh, she does encounter a version of him in The Shimmer. Mm. And they both come back, right? He comes back at the end, doesn't he? Well, no. No? No. He... So the presumably alien version of him that has mimicked his body is the one who came back to her at the beginning. Yes. Right? That caused her to be kept captured and then sent to the Shimmer, right? Um, when she is painting their room in the hopes that, you know, in the vain hope that he will someday return, and then he returns that night, which I thought was also like a wonderfully eerie sequence of events right towards mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. Um, that is alien Oscar Isaac already, right? She has not encountered him in the shimmer. She encountered him outside of the shimmer. She reunites with him at the end of the film. When she's in the shimmer, she sees a video of him. She sees a video of, of Oscar Isaac immolating himself with an incendiary grenade while the alien version that has mimicked him is recording him. Right, and so then she realizes that that's not her actual husband from from home. Yes, but that's, it's a weird alien version. But she's also been irrevocably altered by the shimmer because the last two images of the film are them hugging, and you see this kind of like weird shimmer in the eyes of Oscar Isaac, and then it goes back over the other shoulder, and you see this weird shimmer in the eyes of Natalie Portman, which means that they're both alien creatures, or right. some something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it's a little it's a little undefined. Uh because we see her and we see the the thing take her form, right? We see it she mimicking just, she her. She destroys it. But she destroys it with an incendiary grenade and presumably escapes. But as Jennifer Jason Lee I think says at some point in the film the closer you get to the center of the shimmer, which is the lighthouse, the more things are changing, right? 
So by the time she got to the lighthouse, she may have already been an alien or infiltrated by the alien or I don't know, man. It's this is where it starts to get very confusing because yeah, you think if you trust what your eyes are telling you or what the movie is showing you, then you would say, well, she destroyed the alien being and got out of the shimmer, destroyed the shimmer itself, got out. But then why at the end of the film do her eyes do that weird shimmery thing? Well, there you could say there are some residual effects from being in the shimmer, or maybe there's even a transference of shimmer qualities that she gets from embracing her husband. I, that was that was something that crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of that movie Species, you know, about yeah. the aliens. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's a little foggy. It's a little undefined. Exactly what happens? It's a hell of a trip, though. It's a hell of a trip. I mean, it's it's very interesting, and and like this conversation that I'm having with you right now, I'm enjoying very much, because I'm trying to suss out exactly what happened in this film, and I, you know, I, you know, we 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 do this podcast, so you know, we are critics of film, and I don't pretend to have all the answers at any given time, right? I've seen a lot of films, you've seen a lot of films, so we may be more well informed about movies than the average moviegoer, but. It doesn't mean that everything makes sense on the first go round, <laughs> you know. No, um, and uh, but th- at the same time, I feel like we're nailing all the salient points here. I think we I are, think, but I think and that. I mean, it makes me think. Uh, uh, it makes me a little bit more critical of of Alex Garland's film to think that perhaps it could have been clearer in in what it was trying to say or do. Perhaps, but. Anytime we have a film, you have to assume that what is on the screen is what the director ultimately wanted, or the studio, depending on, of course, how the film makes it to our eyes. But you have to presume that they are giving us what they want us to see, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I, Alex Garland is a very deliberate director. I mean, Ex Machina, I think, is such a fantastic film, and it's very, very, very sharp. It's a very sharp film, and it has a very clear point of view, which mm-hmm. is, I think, maybe what we're missing in this film. I when, when we did our episode on Ex Machina, and I recommend anybody listening to this podcast go listen to our episode on Ex Machina. It's actually one of my favorite episodes that we've done. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, and in that episode, we talk about the fact that there's a very clear kind of um, situational setup that allows us to kind of peel back some of the layers of like patriarchy and misogynist culture and uh, the way that men treat women and the way men view women as objects or sexual beings um, in a way that dehumanizes them. Right. And so that in the end, the, the character that is the most human in the film is the robot at the center of the film. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, Amazing! It's incredible the way that, that he sort of pulls off that, that kind of switch. And so it allows us to delve into that, that territory. In this film, I watch it and I'm like, okay, there is definitely significance to the fact that it's an all-female team that's going in. There's definitely significance to the fact that they are scientists rather than warriors. 
And each one a different realm of science. And each one of them a different realm of science. It's significant that they react the way that they do, that they behave the way that they do, um, that they make the choices that they make. I mean, Tessa Thompson essentially, from what it appears, makes the decision to go become a bush. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to go be a tree now, is kind of what happens. And so everything seems deliberate and everything seems like it has purpose. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of these cases, I'm at a loss to find what that purpose is, like to figure out what that purpose is. I, I don't, yeah. it, I, I can't see the thread. Well, the tagline for this movie is fear what's inside. Yeah. Which is a very sure. provocative tagline, especially yeah. when you measure it against the film and what happens in the film. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a Paramount film released by Paramount. It's yeah. very uncompromising. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of risk involved, and I think that it makes sense for me to examine how the movie is framed, in the sense that when Natalie Portman comes back from the Shimmer, she's being interrogated by these scientists, right? Mm-hmm. And the scientists are all either protected by the glass. Or like Benedict Wong, they're wearing a hazmat suit, mm-hmm. but she is not. Yes. She is contaminated. So she's just sitting there in a chair. And obviously, all these scientists are fearful that they could get or catch something from her. Mm-hmm. Knowing that she's been in the shimmer and, and knowing what happened to the shimmer. And one thing that I'm not totally clear on is exactly what are they trying to extract from her? What information or what purpose is she being interrogated? Yeah. But at the end, she is reunited with alien Oscar Isaac, who is also not wearing a hazmat suit ever. Mm -hmm. He is also contaminated. So the question is then... What what do this, uh, the other scientists think that they might catch from her in the sense that they need to be protected from her and they need to be, you know, quarantined from her? And also, yeah. uh, and, and why are they asking her all these questions in the first place? Yeah. And also, like, what actually happened to her when she was in there? Yeah. Because, I mean, that's important. I mean... There's a, I mean, the whole fa- the whole end sequence, like when when she actually reaches the lighthouse on, to me was like absolutely riveting, like sure. totally fascinating sequence. Uh, not only because I mean she goes down into this weird. Well, first she watches the video of her husband destroying himself with a incendiary grenade. Yeah, and then she goes down into this hole that this meteorite has created, which appears to be the lair of the alien creature. Of mm-hmm. some sort. Jennifer Jason Lee's down there. At first without a face. And then with a face. And then she says something along the lines of every... Like you'll be broken down into the tiniest particles and... Everything will... I don't remember what she says. Something about everything will be light or everything will be great. Well, th- what happens in the Shimmer is that, yeah, you, uh, there's a regeneration that happens. There's yeah. Just- there's a, a, a replication that happens of your DNA 
into something mutated and different. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, like, what do we see? We see her with no face, which is really creepy and weird. Then when she turns around to look at Natalie Portman, she's got a face. And then she gives that sort of cryptic one line. And then she turns into like a being of pure light. And then that being turns into like this weird, creepy, floating orb of energy that's sort of sucking Natalie Portman into it. Natalie Portman freaks out, shoots at that, runs out into the lighthouse proper where she encounters the mimic, Mm -hmm. right? And the mimic then mimics her movements, keeps her from leaving, nearly crushes her to death against the door, Mm -hmm. and then accepts an incendiary grenade as a gift. (laughs) And, And burns the whole world down. And the shimmer disappears, right? So all of that happens. And, you know, I mean, obviously with the mimicry and with the Oscar Isaac and his mimic and, and him destroying his self, I mean, there, there's all kinds of levels of, you know, Buddhist philosophy that you can probably layer mm-hmm. on to this about uh, destroying the self in order to achieve a greater level of enlightenment. You know, also the way the way he sits, doesn't he sit yeah. in a lotus position on yes, the ground? Yes, he does. He does. The and way he, and, the Buddhist monks did. And I, I honestly, I, I immediately brought to mind the the Buddhist monk who is on that that first Rage Against the Machine album cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, yeah, who, who exactly self immolated in the sixties? Yeah, know, or the seventies, I think it was. It was the sixties, I think. Actually, it was. It, it, I don't know if it had anything to do with Vietnam. It did. Or, yeah. but that it was in the sixties. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But and, you know, actually, on a side note, uh, a lot of the a lot of the people in the Buddhist community like really hated that he did that, not because he killed himself, but because he drew so much unnecessary yeah. or, or un unwarranted attention, attention or glamour sure. to to the other Buddhist monks. Yeah, but, but um, I, I don't think there's any mistake that that it, it's meant to echo that image and that idea and there certainly seems to be some sort of buddhist thought going on here Mm -hmm. but it's it's never explicitly spelled out and i kind of love that (laughs) i love that it's never explicitly spelled out because it allows us a to have this kind of a conversation it also allows the film to mean a different thing to each person who watches it i think sure um yeah i think one one tempting explanation for a lot of movies like this is to say that it was all in the head of the main character. Yeah. But I, I'm saying that I don't think that's the case here. No, no, no. But I, I think, think there's, it, I think it no does indication. have to do with like going on a journey to destroy the self and be born anew. I think that that is, I think that's layered in here. But okay, I just, so... I just can't put my finger on. <laughs> But getting back to the end, the final two images. Sure, sure. So we know that Oscar Isaac is is Shimmer Oscar. Yes. He's not, he's he's not got, really an alien. He's got slicked back hair instead of bushy hair. <laughs> That's the dead giveaway. That's, it's a dead giveaway. But like we, we know that he's he's the doppelganger of Oscar yes, Isaac. Yeah. But we don't really know that Natalie Portman is until that last shot when we see her eyes change. But but we never see her. I mean, we see the doppelganger holding the incendiary grenade and 
yeah. and burning so, to death and changing its, you know, that's form. why I now I now think that I think that he infected her in that final moment in some way. Maybe that's the explanation that I think. I don't think I think yes, we saw her kill the doppelganger. She emerged as as a human being, but I think it was their embrace that transmitted whatever juju the shimmer still had, you know, because yeah. otherwise uh, I, they didn't need to hug for it to happen. Like it happens specifically after they hug, after he's squeezing her. Yeah. And she opens her so, eyes and we see that. So you could, fe- you could feasibly make a case that it is transmitted through touch, which could be another reason why Benedict Wong and all the others kept their distance from her. Sure. And had those hazmat suits on. Sure. Yeah. Because I mean, the the image that is replicated over and over again, and I use that word on purpose, in the film is of cells dividing, right? One cell becoming two, right? And mm-hmm. you see them split and become two cells. You see that image probably five or six times in the film. Um, and I think that that's essentially what's happening in that last moment is that he is... He as one is becoming two with her. Mm. But. And this could mean, oh, there's going to be a new shimmer forming. Or the alien has achieved its ends and will now just infect all of humanity. I don't know. Yeah. There are, uh, from what I understand, there are multiple books in the series that this is based off of. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to read them. I'm very curious to get the whole picture. Um, cause, cause it's, it is a little confounding. <laughs> it's, it might, it might yeah. shed some light in the same way that, uh, 2001, the book by Arthur C. Clarke sort of gives you a little bit more in depth information about what the star child is and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. But, um, until, you know, if there is another film, which, quite possible that there won't be since this I don't movie, think so it uh it's not it hasn't exactly lit up the, the american box office and rather than be distributed in theaters around the world yeah. it's just been relegated to netflix yeah paramount uh the big the big scuttlebutt around hollywood is that they felt like they got burned on mother uh-huh. and so they're they were gun shy when it came to this film and they didn't want to waste their money releasing it overseas when it wouldn't make them any money so they just sold right. the the rights to Netflix. Indeed, yeah. Which is a bit of a scary thing because it means theatrical distribution companies are afraid of theatrical distribution for their films. Which I really hope that gets reversed. I mean, it just seems to be we just seem to be plunging head headlong further and further away from theatrical release. Yeah. And I, I know that there are people who are trying to keep it alive, but I'm just worried that it's eventually going to become like a, um, an heirloom type of yeah. enjoyment for cinema. It's no longer going to be popular. Well, and it's kind of wacky because it's become so much cheaper to theatrically distribute things because it's all on. It's all files now. It's not. You don't have to actually ship film anywhere. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. It's just a file. It can't yeah. cost them anything except for whatever ridiculous scheme they've probably dreamt up for rights to show the film and those kinds of costs and yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, but anyway, as far as the film itself goes, it's a it's a pretty fascinating movie. And if you're a sci-fi fan, 
I I think we both are unanimous that we would recommend it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's it's a trip and it's visually very cool and and it's exciting. It, I personally the the weird bear scene was oh, man. one of the most exciting scenes and I've experienced in the theaters. Also like so deeply months. unsettling. Like deeply unsettling. It was masterfully done, masterfully yeah. directed. Um because it, it it built this feeling of dread. And but yet at the same time, you knew that they had a, a, a one way to remain safe, which is just to be silent and not move. Yeah. It kind of it's the same kind of fear that I really enjoyed when I saw Jurassic Park for the first time. Yeah, and this you know, knowing this new movie that's about to come out with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Yeah, that looks interesting. Too. It looks uh, a quiet place where right. they the monsters come if they make noise. Yeah, I, pr- I don't know about that premise. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like it. To... I think it looks cool. It's a fascinating idea, but practically speaking, I mean, how long could you really last if you could not make a single sound? Well, they're the last of humanity, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, um, overall, yeah, I would recommend Annihilation. If you if you see it, if you if you have a different interpretation from ours... If you have anything that you think you might add to what we've been brainstorming, by all means, visit our Facebook page yeah. and, and uh, write about it or tweet about it to us on uh, Twitter. Yeah, if you've got a better perspective, if we're missing something that is painfully obvious from the books, which I feel like may very well be the case, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Um, yeah, let's continue the discussion online. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But cool. overall, definitely recommend it. Yeah. It's just kind of funny because it's like, I feel like you, especially Andrew, you like to know what's going on or what something means. I like figuring yet, out, yeah. And yet here you are, you're enthusiastically recommending this movie. Well, I, I actually love films that are ambiguous and don't have clear-cut endings. I love films that have clear-cut endings as well. I mean, uh-huh. there's no question about that. But a lot of my very favorite films are ones that just end incomplete ambiguity and you don't really know what the future holds for the characters or what what the implications of the movie are i i love those kind of films yeah and if you're a viewer who likes to get immersed in a world of some kind where it has its own logic its own rules then yeah this is another film that you really ought to see yeah and i do feel that science fiction is a particularly good realm for that kind of ambiguity those kinds of movies um Mm -hmm. not only fleshed out worlds but also worlds where you're left with more questions than answers word well yeah we'll leave it at that um check out annihilation support risk-taking science fiction in theaters definitely and uh that wraps it up for this episode of in the queue stay tuned for our next episode it's going to be a listener's choice we're going to talk about the film master and commander the far side of the world i literally can't wait (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) something tells me it's going to be a fun discussion. (laughs) So stay tuned for that. We'll see you then.